Good morning. So good to be with you here this morning. I'm grateful to uh, those who are participating in our Leadership Development Forum uh, to have the opportunity to plan and pray through and participate in a worship service. Worship is not the only thing we do as a church, but it's the most important thing that we do. And so I'm grateful that God is continually raising up people uh, to be involved in the process. And so thank you to you as well for coming and participating uh, so that we can worship our Lord uh, and Savior together. You know, each week when we gather for worship, as we've been going through the book of Genesis, at the end of the service, we say our benediction from Genesis chapter 12. And we repeat together uh, the fact that uh, God wants to bless us. And you can see in there where God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And the point of this benediction and the point of being encouraged in this area is God saying, look, through Jesus, I'm going to bless you And part of the purpose for blessing you is so that you can be a blessing to others. So you receive blessing from God and you get to be a conduit of blessing to others. Now, you may hear that and think, great, like that, I love that. Like, go ahead, God, like pour out your blessings on me. I would love to be a blessing to others. In fact, we have a ministry at Calvary called Blessed to Bless. It's a great name for a ministry. Like, we are blessed by God, and we get to be a blessing to others. And you may be like, sign me up for that. Like, I am all for that. And I am too. Like, that's a fantastic thing. But there is a danger in saying this benediction every week that we might get the wrong impression about how the process of being blessed and then turning around and being a blessing to others, how that process works. It's really easy to fall into the trap of thinking that this blessed to bless process is a nice, neat, clean, three-step process. For example, step number one, maybe God gives me some money. That's God blessing me. Step two, I get to give some of that money to a non-Christian friend who might be in trouble. And then step three, this friend thanks me and even God. I was blessed and I got used to be a blessing to others. It's a nice, neat, three-step process. Blessed and then turn around and bless somebody else. Or, another example, God makes me homecoming queen. Not me, but like, you know what I mean, like... I wrote this and it sounded great on paper, but then you put it up there in the last service, everyone started laughing and I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, like, also for a high school student who might be here, who God might make them be homecoming queen. Uh, And then the person who is homecoming queen decides to be kind to people who are not fitting in well at school. And some of these less popular uh, kids agree to come to church with me and hear about Jesus. It's a beautiful, blessed by God, and then turn around and being a blessing to someone else. Or another example of what this three-step blessed-to-bless process might look like. God heals me. Uh, I share that story of my miraculous healing with others. And uh, some of the people around me come to faith in Jesus because they heard about God who heals. I was blessed. 
I turned around and got to share with someone else and then they got to receive a blessing and I got to be part of that. Or example number four, God calls me into missions and miraculously raises all the support I need with ease. So I go on the mission field and I tell them my story of God providing all I needed to get there. People hear, believe, and accept Jesus. This is what I mean when I refer to a three-step sort of blessed-to-blessed process, meaning God blesses, you turn around and try to find someone else to share that blessing with, and then as a result, they are pointed to God and experience the blessing of being connected to him. Now, thank the Lord, sometimes it actually works that way. Sometimes it's just that simple, it's just that neat, it's just that easy, and it's a one, two, three, beautiful. Thank you, God. However, sometimes it's not so neat. And sometimes it's not so clean. And sometimes it's not so easy. And one of the problems with saying our benediction the way we say it every week is that we might in our minds get one of these three-step processes in our hearts and think, okay, God, I'm ready to go out into my week. You pour out the blessings. My job will be to be generous to others, and then I'll do that, and then you cause them to come to know you, to worship you, to be thankful, and it'll be beautiful. And I just want to tell you this morning that it doesn't always work that way. And in just a minute, we're going to look in the book of Genesis and see a story where there is someone who is blessed, And they do ultimately end up being a blessing to others, exactly as God promised. But there's a lot more twists and turns and challenges than a three-step process might lead you to think. And I believe God wants us to look at this story today for a couple of reasons. One is that to recognize when this begins to happen in our lives, when things don't happen as smooth and neat and easily, where I'm blessed, turn around and bless somebody else, it's all good, that we would realize that this is actually how God intends it, that he intends it to be more difficult and more challenging. And two, so that if you're feeling discouraged right now, if you're like, well, I thought I was just gonna get blessed by God and everyone would love hearing what I had to say about that, that you would be encouraged that you're not, something's not going wrong, it's actually probably going right. That if your journey from being blessed to being a blessing has more twists and turns than you thought it would, that's a sign you're doing it the right way. So let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. It's page 20 in our church Bibles, and so if you need a Bible, we would love if you would just take one from the rack in front of you and turn to page 20. Uh, We got a cool story to hear today, and I'm gonna read through the story. We'd love if you would follow along uh, as I read the story, and then we're gonna walk our way through it, and I hope that's a helpful encouragement to us. So the setting for our story in Genesis 26, it's a story from the life of Isaac. So Abraham, his father, has died, and now Isaac is sort of the main character on the scene in Genesis. And Isaac is living in the land of Canaan. This is the promised land that God promised to uh, Abraham and then also to Isaac, and Isaac is living in that land, but there's a famine in the land. 
And so Isaac moves to be near the Philistines. Now it's important to recognize he's still in the land, so the Philistines also live in the land. He's living in the land of Canaan, but Philistines are nearer the coast. And because of the famine, it makes sense that he would move nearer the coast um, because hopefully precipitation, there would be more rain. Uh, it would be better near the coast. And so Isaac moves still in the land of Canaan, but nearer the coast of the Mediterranean, living near the Philistines. And here in verse two, we pick up the story. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and bless you. What's God going to do? Here's the promise. God says, I'm gonna bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring, what will happen? All nations on earth will be blessed. So here, right at the beginning of Genesis 26, God is reaffirming this process. I'm gonna bless you, Isaac, and then through you, and specifically through your descendants, I'm gonna cause that blessing to radiate out so that all sorts of people are blessed by it. Well, the story continues in Genesis 26, and Isaac actually exercises more faith than his father Abraham. When Abraham was faced with a famine in the land, he left the land and went down to Egypt in a lack of faith. Here, Isaac hears God say he's gonna take care of him, and so Isaac decides to stay. So he stays in the land of Canaan, living near the Philistines. So in one sense, he's done better than his father Abraham, in another sense, you see the sins of the father passed on to the son because when Isaac moves near the Philistines who are a new people to him, uh, he thinks, uh-oh, what if they see how beautiful my wife is and they kill me and take her? And so he tells her, hey, just tell them you're my sister. Where have we heard that before? Abraham did it twice. In both cases, not kind to his wife, not fair to the people around him, and a complete lack of faith and unfortunately, Isaac falls into the same trap. But just reminds us that all of us are human and that even those of us who are the strongest in faith still have times when we fall and slip and do not do what God wants us to do. But that's the setup for the story we want to look at now, which begins in verse 12. It's a little bit longer story. I'm gonna read the whole thing to us. And then we're gonna go back through and see how the blessed to bless process works in Genesis 26. So look with me in verse 12. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech, who is the leader of the Philistines, said to Isaac, move away from us, you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. 
Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water's ours. So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you, so we said there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did no harm, we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peacefully. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Sheba, and to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. All right, so in Genesis 26, we have a process of Isaac being blessed and then getting to be a blessing to his unbelieving neighbors. But let's go back through the story and kind of identify the steps in how this worked. Back in 12 and 13, we have step number one, God blesses Isaac. It says that when he planted his crops, remember this was a time of famine in the land? When he planted his crops, they returned a hundredfold. Meaning, for every cucumber seed he put in the ground, he got a hundred cucumbers back. That is incredible. When Jesus tells the parable of the soils, the very best soil produces a hundredfold. And that's literally what Isaac gets. So we're supposed to see this in the middle of a famine to be able to produce a hundred times the seed you put in the ground. Well, this is, the, this is a miracle from the Lord. God has opened up the floodgates of heaven and all of a sudden, Isaac, it's just goodness is being poured out in his life. He's becoming very wealthy. That is very clearly a blessing from God. God's made this happen. God has done this. And Isaac is experiencing the joy of being blessed by God. Okay, step two. Verse 14. His non-believing neighbors, the Philistines, do not seem to recognize that he is blessed by God. They do not fall down and say, hey, look, we gotta follow your God. Instead, what do they do? They envy him. They take a look at all the possessions and all the stuff that they have and jealousy rises in their hearts. Step three, verse 15. They begin to persecute Isaac. 
I mean, you need water to be able to have agriculture in order to do the farming. And so what they do is they go probably at night or whenever and they take all of his wells and they fill it up with dirt. They're like, well, this is not what we expected. Like, we expect blessing just turns into goodness and we share this. No, their response is they begin to persecute him and try to get him to, to try to hinder his ability to experience the blessings of God. Step four, verse 16, his unbelieving neighbors kick him out of the area. Now remember, this is his land. This is land given to him by God, and yet they are exiling him from the land. He's not allowed to be in that area. All right, so Isaac leaves. Step number five, God blesses Isaac some more. He moves into a valley which is further inland and so uh, less natural water, more difficult to dig wells. He moves inland and he digs some wells and miraculously God provides water in the desert for Isaac and his cattle and servants and agriculture. But step six, verses 20 through 21, his unbelieving neighbors steal his wells. They come to him like this water's ours. Now, it's his land given to him by God, and his servants dug the wells. They did all of the work. They found the water. God miraculously provided. The herders who live in that area are like, no, you stole our water. And so they quarrel with him and steal his wells from him. Well, keep going. What are we on? Step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Step seven. Uh, he has to move on from there. Verse 22. Basically, they've stolen his wells. So he's got to move to another place. So he is exiled from that area, moves further inland still. And then step eight, God blesses him some more. He keeps moving in. God appears to him and says, I'm going to take care of you. And then in Beersheba, which is in the middle of the desert, he digs a well, and miraculously God provides water. Water, a sign of life, a sign of God's presence. God miraculously provides water for Isaac in the middle of the desert. And he blesses him one more time. Which ultimately leads to step nine. His unbelieving neighbors come to him and actually get to meet God through Isaac. Look what it says, verse 28. This is Abimelech, Ahuzamoth, and Phicol. They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord, and you notice really carefully verse 28, if you have the translation we're using here, do you see how it's a capital L with a capital O, a capital R, and a capital D? That is how our English translation signals to us that what's being used in Hebrew is God's divine name. This is the name Yahweh. So they're not just saying some God, they're acknowledging Isaac, your God, Yahweh, he's the Lord, he's the one who's with you. He's been taking care of you. Verse 29, last phrase, and now you are blessed by Yahweh. These people who didn't know who Yahweh was until Isaac moved near him now have come to believe that Yahweh is Lord. 
So it did work. Isaac was blessed by God. Isaac then ends up getting to be a blessing to his neighbors. But you notice it was not quite so neat and easy along the way. That along the way, he's persecuted, he suffers, he's exiled, he's rejected, his stuff is stolen from him, he's put in this very difficult situation. And finally, we get to the point where ultimately, then, he ends up being a blessing. I actually think the reason why the Philistines come to acknowledge that Yahweh is Lord is because this wasn't a three-step process. I think if just, hey, look, that guy got a whole lot of crops, and look, he gave us some crops, we want to follow his God, I don't think that's why they do this. I think God blesses him, they envy him, they persecute him, they exile him, He sticks with God and God keeps blessing him. They steal his wells. They exile him again. God keeps blessing him. Finally, they're like, we want to know this God that you are going to stick with no matter what. And we want to know this God who's going to stick with you no matter what. And you can't get there without these twists and turns. If everything was straight and neat and clean and easy, I actually don't think they would believe. And so God sends Isaac on this journey. And it's a painful journey. You can hear it in his voice. They show up and like, hey, we're all good, right? And he's like, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? And they try to pretend, oh, no, no, we never did you any harm. We treated you kindly. Yeah, in what world is this kind? But it's all part of the process that God has to use to show that he is Lord. And so the encouragement to us as individuals is as much as I'd like to tell you that God's normal way of operating is he blesses us, we share with others, they immediately respond and are grateful, and we're done. That's not usually how it works. And that the encouragement to you and I today is to want to love God and to love our neighbors to allow the process to be messy. That if God needs to take us through all of this with persecution, with suffering, with injustice, with rejection, in order to get to the final step of being a blessing, the encouragement is he's the Lord and this is how he often does it. What God promised still came true. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. The promise that he gives to us through Jesus, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. But just know this is much more of the normal way in which it happens. There's also an encouragement here in this passage not just for us individually as Christians, but also for us collectively as a church and specifically as a church in the country of America. It's also true in other countries as well. But sometimes I hear Christians say, America is a Christian country and think that Philistines have sort of moved into the country 
and are stealing our wealth and are persecuting us and causing us to suffer. Notice this is land literally given to Isaac by God. There is no other country on the planet in all of history which has been given to any people the same way that God has given to Israel this slice of land. But even in this situation where this is Isaac's land, in order for God to be a blessing to the Philistines, he asks Isaac to go through the persecution and the suffering and the exile and the injustice so that he can bring about, God can bring about what he's planned to do. And along the way, nowhere does Isaac take these Philistines to court. Nowhere does he go to battle with them. Nowhere does he get into ideological shouting matches with them. Nowhere does he begin to try to get different leaders elected than the leaders that they have. He's simply submitting to God. And he's following the instructions that Jesus himself is going to give to us. What does Jesus say if someone steals your coat? Give him your cloak too. What if they strike you on the cheek? What does Jesus tell us to do? Turn the other cheek. He says, love your enemies. This is what Isaac is doing. And by willing to submit to what God is doing and trusting God, God is with him the whole way saying, yes, I know they stole your wells. Yes, I know this is their, your land and they're kicking you out of it. I know that they are envying you and persecuting. I know they're the ones who dumped all the earth into the wells, but stick with me. This is the path we have to go through in order for them to come to faith. And will you love them enough to trust me to do this? And the encouragement to us collectively as a church is to remember that we are the body of Christ. And so we operate in this world the way that Jesus operated. And what did Jesus do? Well, his story looks remarkably like his great ancestor, Isaac. Ultimately, the blessing that we experience that comes through Isaac is through his great, great, great descendant, Jesus. And what was Jesus' story? Well, he came to earth full to the brim with the blessings of God. The amazing miracles that he did. The unbelievable truth that he taught. The fullness of love and compassion. No other human being has ever had the fullness of God's blessings poured out on his life as Jesus did. And how did this world respond to Jesus? They rejected him. They persecuted him. They mocked him. They gave false testimony against him. And they ultimately exiled him from his own planet by killing him. Imagine this. This planet that we live on, created by Jesus. Every person given breath and life by Jesus. If anybody has a right to the people and the things of this planet, it is Jesus. 
but we don't see him fighting for those rights. We see him willingly suffering. The Bible says about Jesus, he was like a lamb before its shearers. As that lamb is silent, so Jesus did not protest what was happening to him. He looks just like Isaac. They keep doing this stuff to him. He keeps allowing them to do it to him. Until finally, and I always find this mind-blowing, based on false testimony, they convict him in court. He has all he needs to say to prove himself innocent and doesn't say a word. At any moment, he can call down fire from heaven. He can call legions of angels. He can do anything he needs to at that moment to win the court case, to win the battle, to win the planet. And he doesn't do anything. And in what I think has to be the most incredible act of sacrifice, that as he is being nailed to a cross on wood he created from a planet he designed by people he fashioned from the dust of the ground who are crucifying him with the very strength he's giving to them at that moment. That we are told that in Jesus, all life exists and he sustains all things. Which means that every breath you and I take, he's giving to us. Which means every hammer blow that fell, he provided the strength for that. Why? Because he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And what happened in the end? God raised this same Jesus from the dead and has seated him at the highest place, given him all authority in heaven and on earth so that all might see he is blessed by God. And through him, all nations on earth are being blessed. It's messier than you might expect. You might have expected the God who created all things would show up on his planet and his planet would be like, it's the creator. Everybody worship him. That would have been a nice three-step process. But instead what he got is when he showed up here, he was persecuted, mocked, beaten, lied about, and killed. And he submitted to that because he believed that God says, I will use you to bless the whole world. And he loved you and me enough to go through all those twists and turns so that we could get to the point of coming to recognize that Jesus is Lord and we could experience that salvation. It's fitting that we would celebrate today communion. In communion, what we are celebrating is not Jesus' political activism. We are not celebrating the fact that he demonstrated incredible miraculous powers, although he did. We are not celebrating the fact that he confounded all of the wisest people on earth. We are celebrating the fact that he chose to lay down his life so that we could be blessed. 
In just a moment, trays are going to be distributed. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you're walking with the Lord, we invite you to participate with us. What you're gonna do is that in these trays are double stacked cups. In the bottom cup is a piece of bread and the top cup is some juice. Uh, If you would just take those, hold on to them, I'm gonna get back up and after everybody has some, I'm going to lead us through partaking of those together. If you're not yet a believer in Jesus, if you've not yet accepted uh, being a Christian, why not today? Jesus went through all of this so that you might have life. If you're not ready yet to accept that, just let the cup and the bread pass you by. We ask you to participate in the singing and the scripture reading and all the rest of the stuff we're doing. Uh, But as you hold on to this bread and this cup, I just want you and I to be encouraged and be reminded that we are where we are in our eternal relationship with God. Not because Jesus fought, but because he submitted. Not because everything went smoothly for Jesus, but because everything went terribly, terribly poorly, but exactly the way the Father had laid it out. And as you hold that bread and you hold that cup, and you think about this church, or you think about Christianity in America, or in the world, or you think about your own individual story, If the blessings you've received haven't followed a nice, neat path, but have had lots of twists and turns, lots of struggles, lots of suffering, lots of, Lord, where are you? Why is this going this way? Just hold that bread and hold that cup and be reminded you're following in the footsteps of Jesus. And please have the courage to love your enemies enough to give them your coat and your cloak to turn the other cheek and to do whatever it is God asks you to do to suffer for them, that they too might be blessed as you've been blessed. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.